You may be seated, everyone. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. There we go. God is faithful, and I am glad that you have been faithful today and joining us for worship here at Harrison Church. If you're visiting with us, my name is Shane, and I have the honor to bring you uh, the Word uh, today. And I do, I do this every week, but I want to catch everybody up on where we are. I don't want everybody to feel lost in any way. But last week, we started a new sermon series. You see all these candles and the red I thought it would be cool for the next uh, couple of weeks to do a sermon series on the Holy Spirit since the red symbolizes in Scripture the, the Holy Spirit of God and including the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the, uh, today is the, the second part of that. Now I will remind you, I didn't do this in the last service, but I'll remind you the best way I have found to conceptualize who the Holy Spirit is is like today is called uh, Trinity Sunday. We believe God is one, but we also as Christians believe that God is three persons in one. Mystery. We don't believe that God became Trinity one day. God has always been three persons in one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it was St. Augustine who says that means the Father loves the Son from eternity. The Son loves the Father from eternity. And the Holy Spirit is the love of the Father and the Son. So the Spirit of God, is, it doesn't just have love. The Spirit of God is the love of God. And last week we talked about on the day of Pentecost what happened. The Holy Spirit descends on the disciples and what is the very first thing that the disciples did in response to the Holy Spirit? They opened their mouths. Their tongues were on fire to proclaim boldly the name of Jesus Christ in public. They did not do that privately. The Spirit sent them out. And so the Holy Spirit is the preacher, we could say. Inspires me. Inspires your reading. Words. So what I thought we'd do today is we would take another look at the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role in our lives, and that is the Holy Spirit as the gift giver, the giver of gifts, or we might say abilities, certain abilities that we get. Now, if you read the New Testament, I'm going to get to our scripture for the morning in just a moment. If you read the New Testament especially, St. Paul talks about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's gifts several times. And what Paul says is that the Holy Spirit has given the church gifts, us as believers, gifts, various gifts, a portion to people throughout the church so that the church can fulfill its mission for the common good, to proclaim Jesus. So Paul in one place says, you know, through the Holy Spirit, some are apostles, some are preachers, some are pastors, some have the gifts of faith, some have the gifts of giving. And all of these different gifts spread out among all the believers in Jesus work together for the common good. So, on the one hand, the Spirit's gifts in the New Testament differ from person to person. So that means, you know, the gifts that the Spirit has given me may not be the same gifts that you have. But you have gifts through the Holy Spirit that I don't have. And so there's a complementarity going on here where you're strong I'm weak, but where I am strong, you might be weak, but together we can be strong in the Lord. Okay, there's that, the different gifts. But the gifts I'm going to talk about today are not the gifts that each of us have in difference with each other. Some have, some do not have. I'm talking today about the gifts of the Holy Spirit that the church believes all of us have in common by virtue of our baptism. You know, we just baptized Reed a little moment ago. Now these gifts are on him. All right, so these gifts are outlined in Isaiah chapter 11. And I'm going to read from Isaiah today. And I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of our scripture. And I got to get to it because I don't have my place marked. I should have done that. All right, hold on. I'll get there. 
there we go. And then Isaiah chapter 11. Okay, so I'm going to be reading from uh, verses 1 through verses 5. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah prophesies, A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now here's where the gifts are. Now he's talking about the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the Messiah. Here we go. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Now, how many of you saw the realm post that I put out yesterday? If you didn't see that, go back and read it. That could be translated, the first fear of the Lord, as piety. Piety. And then he says again, And his delight, the Messiah's delight, shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth not with a sword, but with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, we all have these gifts. How? Okay, so Isaiah is clearly talking about the Messiah. Well, who's the Messiah for us? We believe that these words have been fulfilled. In whom? In Jesus. Now you have been baptized in whose name? That means the Spirit, the same Spirit that was working in Jesus, is now working in your life. And the gifts that Jesus had in himself through the Holy Spirit are now at work in us. So what I thought we would do for the next uh, few moments is just kind of go down each one of these gifts. I have found this week that uh, several of you uh, grew up Methodist. You've never heard of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, these seven gifts. But for those of you who are from the Catholic Church, some of you from the Anglican Church, you will recognize this. What I thought we would do is that we would just go down each one. I will briefly describe them for you, try to define them, and then I'll try to bring all this together uh, as a sum at the end of this sermon. So it's going to be kind of like a a catechesis, a confirmation class. Okay, you ready for this? First, let's talk about if you are baptized in Jesus, you have been given the gift of wisdom. The gift of wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, there's a worldly kind of wisdom. Now, this is the kind of wisdom that you get from experience. Maybe you apply a certain trade for a long period of time or, you're, or apply a certain art, artwork or some sort of craft. This is the kind of experience we talk about with, with people who are seasoned. Uh, sometimes we call this kind of wisdom uh, street cred. You ever heard that before? Or the kind of uh, wisdom of the world that goes like, uh, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Uh, that kind of wisdom. That's not the kind of wisdom we're talking about here. The wisdom that is a spiritual gift that you have is learning. It's the gift of being wise in God. Now, if you look on the back of your bulletin, I will have all these listed for you. So for all you studious note takers, you you can make some notes. For those of you who don't have that, you can watch the sermon online because there's a lot of stuff here. But the spiritual gift of wisdom is learning and being able to be wise in God. What does that mean? Biblical wisdom simply means Learning how to see the world from God's point of view. It is learning how to see reality the way God sees it. You don't see it just the way we see it. You see it the way God sees the world. 
And when you're able to see the world from God's point of view, you see the world from an eternal point of view. And what that means is that you know now from an eternal standpoint what really matters and what really doesn't matter in life. When you see the world the way God sees it, you know, for instance, that wealth and riches and honor and fame, these things don't last and these things don't really matter. You know because you're wise in God that what really matters and what will really last is faith and hope and love and the things that we do for the Lord. So, so wisdom, the gift of wisdom is, is being able to see the world from God's point of view. Now, before I go on, St. Paul, in one of his letters, does say this, a warning. He says, if you've got the wisdom of God in you, you're going to look ridiculous in the eyes of the world. You'll be strange and you'll look foolish. Why? Because the people who are wise in God, they know that it's the humble, it's the merciful, it's the gentle. These are the blessed people of the world. But the world will never say that or agree with that. Because the world says, no, it's the strong, it's the mighty, it's the powerful, they're the blessed. No, 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 no. When you see the world the way God sees it, you know what really will last. It's the humble. It's anything that has to do with love. Jesus had wisdom. He had this. He was able to see the world in reality exactly the way God sees it. You, you're baptized. The Spirit is in you. You have wisdom, this wisdom. All right, second gift is understanding the Spirit has given us the gift of understanding. This is the gift. By understanding, we mean you are able, through the Spirit of God, to understand your place in the story of God, especially the stories of Scripture. With a gift of understanding, you are able to interpret your life through the narrative of the Bible. Why does that matter? Well, our world has its own narrative. The day you were born, our world says to you, well, you know, there's no God. Well, God, good luck to you. Do the best you can. Uh, pursue pleasure. Eat, drink, and be merry. You'll be dead one day and make a lot of money in the meantime. Well, that's not our story. See, the gift of understanding allows you to say, no, 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 no. I, I, I understand myself to be a part of a different story. I'm a part of the story of God and God's salvation in the world. This is a story of God's liberation. It's a story of God's care for the weak. It's a story of Jesus' death and resurrection. So the gift of understanding is understood to help you read yourself through the Bible, to look at your life through the lens of Scripture. I've mentioned that before. All right, so what does that look like? Here's a for instance. Just make it up. Imagine you're going to a banquet, big feast going on. Well, with a gift of understanding and you see all the feasting happening, you are then going to be able to remember the stories of Jesus who invited all those people to eat with him, to feast with him. That's an example. Or maybe, maybe you've seen someone who is suffering innocently, just this awful form of suffering. They didn't deserve it. But with the gift of understanding, you can recall the story of Job in the Bible the one who was an innocent sufferer, all these horrible things. Or maybe, maybe you see some people, a group of people being oppressed by others, or you see one person being oppressed by others, but with the gift of understanding, you will recall the story of Moses and the liberation of God's people. God is wanting to free those who are oppressed. So the spiritual gift of understanding, and you have it, 
is to help you recall the stories of the Bible, and that's how you read your life. Jesus had understanding. He read his entire life through the Torah, through what we would call the Old Testament, the stories of Scripture. All right, third, knowledge. If you are of the Lord, you have the gift of knowledge. What is this? Well, on the one hand, knowledge in our time is power, isn't it? You ever heard that expression before, knowledge is power? You ever heard this? We kind of think uh, that knowledge is to help me get an advantage over you. So if I know more than you, I can one-up you. Uh, think about the scientists, the nuclear physicists back in the 40s or the 50s. They were the ones who came up with the atom bomb. And, of course, the United States used that power, that knowledge, to reign over other nations. That's not what this kind of knowledge is. The spiritual gift of knowledge is the gift of the Spirit that allows you to know what your life is for and to know what the things of the world are for. You know what your life is for. You know what things in your life are for. For instance, you've come across some money. you got a great job. Well, you know through the Spirit that this is not just existing so you can indulge on yourself to enjoy yourself. No, you know that whatever you have in your life is meant to be shared. You know the purpose of your money. You know the purpose of your clothes. You know the purpose of all of these things. So the spiritual gift of knowledge helps you know that your life is a gift. And everything in your life is a gift. You know that. The world doesn't know that. They know that everything that belongs to me is mine. But not the gift of knowledge. You know that you exist to serve God, to worship God, to enjoy God. Knowledge. Jesus, of course, had knowledge. He knew what his life was for. He knew his life existed for God and for the sake of God. Okay, are you still with me? Okay, I'm looking at you. I don't know. I don't read this. All right, next gift. The gift of counsel. You have the spiritual gift of counsel. Now, on the one hand, we've been kind of taught, if you want counsel, who do you seek? Yourself. Just go with your gut. Go with your heart. We hear that all the time. Biblically speaking, that's a terrible way to go about things. The Proverbs actually say those who follow their own heart are fools. That's what the Proverbs say. But the gift of counsel here also does not mean you are able to counsel others. The spiritual gift of counsel is in you so that you can rely on God's counsel, God's advice, God's guidance. So the gift of counsel is the gift of helping you understand you've got to make a decision. What does God want right now? Someone once said that the spiritual gift of counsel helps you choose well. In other words, to help you choose, to make a decision in line with what God wants and not with what you want. So often our decisions in life are about what I want. What do I want to do? But no, 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 no. No, the Spirit of God is in you. This is a promise that you can do what God wants. You can choose well. Jesus, if you think about him, he had the gift of counsel. He chose what God wanted, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he said, it's not what I want, Lord. I don't want to go to the cross, but nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. That's counsel. You are not by yourself. You do not have to go it alone. You have God's counsel in you. All right, counsel. Next one, gift of piety. (laughs) How many of you want to be called pious? 
you are so pious. Right, we don't even that word sounds like a pejorative now. It's a terrible thing. We kind of think pious means puritanical, uh, like killjoy, just kind of ugh. No, piety. Piety in the classic sense of the word means this. Piety means loyalty. Piety means devotion. You're devoted. So in other words, we could say that piety means you are devoted to God. You are loyal to God. You are loyal to your people, your family, your neighborhood. That's what piety looks like. So piety, piety really means friendship with God. Friendship with God. Now here's the catch. If you are going to be a friend of God, and that's what we're called to be, then it means that you will also be friends with the friends of God. And who are, according to Jesus, the friends of God? Well, he says this in Matthew 25. My friends are the least of these. So piety means you are a friend with God, yes. But you are also friends with the poor. Friends with the broken. Friends with the vulnerable. It is friendship with the poor. So piety means you want to make sure that everybody who is vulnerable or weak, they have compassion. They have exactly what they need. I mean, if you've ever dropped off food for our loaves and, pantry, loaves and fishes food pantry, that's an act of piety. You're making sure that others have what they need. And so those with the gift of piety, and it's in you. You are called to be a friend of God, but you're also called to be a friend of the friends of God. Think about Jesus and his ministry. I mean, Jesus over and over again, who was he friends with? He was friends with the weak. He was friends with the vulnerable. He was friends with the poor. You, through piety, are called to be loyal to God and loyal to God's friends. Okay? Piety. Uh, then the next one. Courage. Uh, we might translate it might, as it was found in our text today, or fortitude. The gift of courage is the gift of allowing you to maintain your faithfulness to God, even in the face of real opposition. Courage. It takes courage to be a follower of Jesus. An extreme example would be the martyrs. I mean, even in the face of death, the martyrs of the world... They were courageous. They would not compromise their faith even under the pain of death. Now, most of us are not going to be martyrs. But do we still need courage? Yes. What does that look like? Maybe you work for a company. Or you work for a boss. Or maybe you've got a coworker, and they want to do something that you know is shady. You know that's not pleasing to God. The gift of courage allows you to say, I'm not doing that. No. Or maybe you have a classmate. Your classmate wants to do something that you know is not of God. The gift of courage, and it's in you. You're baptized. The gift of courage is, is allows you to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Do we need courage in the church today? You bet. Do we need people who will stand up for their convictions of Jesus Christ? Yes, it takes courage to do this. Jesus had the gift of of courage. Even when he saw a cross in his future, he refused to compromise his faithfulness to God. Courage. Then the last one. If you are baptized, you have the spiritual gift of the fear of the Lord. Now, there are a lot of people who say that the fear of the Lord is the soil 
It is the soil from which all the other gifts that we have talked about actually come from. What is the fear of the Lord? We'll do this very briefly. Well, it doesn't mean what some people think it means. It doesn't mean that I'm terrified of God. No, it doesn't mean that. Because God wants us to be friends. You're not terrified of your friend. So what is the fear of the Lord? Well, the fear of the Lord spoken of here is a fear that comes from deep and abiding love. Like the love between a, a spouse and a spouse or a parent and a child. You know, if you love someone, you fear losing that person. You ever felt that before? You're a parent, you fear losing your child. You're, you're, you're married to someone, you fear losing that person. That's a kind of fear that comes from your deep love for that person. And so the fear of the Lord is understood. Your fear of losing your devotion to God is a fear of losing your love and your passion for God. And the thing is, is that if you fear the Lord, you won't fear losing anything else. You'll say, take my money, take my life, take my house, but do not, do not take from me my love of Jesus Christ. Do not allow me to outlive my love for Jesus Christ. That's what fear means. Jesus had a fear of the Lord. He feared the Lord because of his deep love for God. And because Jesus feared the Lord, he didn't fear anything else. He didn't fear losing anything else. All he cared about was holding on to his God. That's in you. The Spirit of God has given you the gift of the fear of the Lord. Now, what does all of this mean for us? All right, here's the sum of it. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life so that you will be holy. Thank you, Captain Obvious. But now, I want you to think about this. As we sum things up, St. Paul actually says something incredibly provocative in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. Paul says to the believers, that's you, he says, because of the Holy Spirit, you, you have the mind of Jesus Christ. You have the mind of Jesus Christ. Of course, this sounds so obvious, but this is a point we have missed over and over and over again. We have so reduced the Christian faith to being good people. We think the whole point of religion is to make us good people, to make us moral people, to make us better people. I run into people at the airport, and they'll say, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, I used to go to church. But I've learned I can be a good person without the church. Let me say this to you as I wrap things up. Does Christianity care about morals? Yes. Does it care about you being a good person? Yes. Does it care about your ethics? Yes. But Christianity is far greater than that. The ancients used to put it like this for centuries. That God became a human being so that human beings could become like God. That's the point of Christianity. That's what the Spirit of God is in you for. It's not to make you a good person. The Holy Spirit is at work within you so that you will conform your life into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So that you will think like Him speak like him 
act like him. The Holy Spirit wants to, this is the word I used a few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit wants to Christify you. Can someone be a good person without coming to church? The answer, absolutely. If you come to church just to be a better person or a good person, you can do that anywhere else. That's not the point of the church. You don't need the church to be a good person. Atheists can be good people. But do you need the church to be Christified? You bet. You need worship. You need the Lord's Supper. You need the sacraments of baptism. That's the whole point. Don't desire just to be good. Please do not desire just to be moral. No. Desire what the Spirit of God really wants to do to you, and that is to Christify you. Christify. Now, how do you do it? You just need to get out of the way. You just need to let the Holy Spirit go to work in you. Say, Spirit of God, make me as Jesus is. I want to think like Jesus. My friends, you have got greatness in you. The Holy Spirit's gifts are in you. Don't desire just to be good. That's not the point. Desire to be holy, to want everything that God's Spirit wants. Will you pray with me? Oh, gracious God, forgive us for ignoring and even neglecting the gifts that are in us. All of these gifts. You have poured your Spirit out on us. We can be wise in God. We can know what our life is for. We can have a right fear of the Lord. But we cannot without you. So I pray today that you will open up the hearts of these, your people, that we would open up our lives and get out of our own way that we would desire not just to be good, but that all of us together will desire to be as Christ is and as he was. Christify us, O Spirit, that we will be holy as the Father and the Son are holy. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. As always, you can find out the latest Harrison happenings online at harrisonchurch.org or you can visit us on our Facebook page. Have a great week.